give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. What we need to keep in our prayers, uh, Cindy, she's getting better and better. And um, so it shouldn't be too long before she's able to be here. So hi, sweetie. Everybody say hi, Cindy. Yeah. All right. Then uh, Robert Diaz, who always sits right here, Robert and Kelly, he's running and he fell and he dislocated his shoulder. And how long was he in ER? Five hours in ER. So we ought to pray for Robert and Kelly. They're a very sweet couple, faithful to our church. So we're going to pray for him. And everybody who has a special need tonight, lift your hand if you've got a special need tonight. Well, that's about the whole church. Um, so we'll, I'll tell you what, let's take hands again. Can we do that? Let's take hands again. And just take the hand of the person next to you. If you've got to reach over, reach over. And um, I, we're just going to pray for one another. We're going to pray for Robert and Cindy. And then, and then you just pray for your neighbor next to you because we're in, we're in troublesome times, difficult times. And, um, but you know what? God's grace is greater. His grace is greater always. So let's pray. Father, we just give Robert to you and pray you'd heal his shoulder. We pray that you touch him right where he is and Kelly with him. We pray for Cindy that you'll continue to heal her and bring her to full recovery. And Lord, we pray for our neighbor. Let's pray together, everybody. Come on. Let's just say, Lord, I pray for my neighbor. Touch them at the point of their need. Heal them, answer them, strengthen them, deliver them. Touch them at the point of their need tonight. Go ahead and take a minute. As the Spirit of God leads you, just pray for the person next to you. As the Spirit of God leads. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and just lift up prayer. Thank you, Lord. 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 There are people fighting addictions. Lord, we just pray for deliverance from addictions in the name of Jesus. There are people fighting despair, hopelessness. Lord, touch them, strengthen them. Give fresh fire tonight, fresh vision, fresh hope. Lord, infuse inner strength into us. In the mighty name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray as we get into your word, the word of God tonight. Open our understanding, open our hearts, open our eyes to see the glorious promises wrapped up in this word tonight. Your word. Can you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart tonight. Build my faith tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. All right, don't sit down yet because we're going to read right up here the text for tonight. Then you can sit down and I'm going to sit down with you. Let's read it. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Say what? 
I will never stumble? Wow. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 12, let's read it. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure you that you always have a reminder of these things after my what? Verse 15, or 16 rather. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that's how you got your Bible. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, perk up and listen. You're going to need this tonight. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, last time we were together, we closed out, if you'll remember, with the seven kingdom character virtues. Remember that? Uh, that we're to add to our faith. Now, Peter's the gist of the first part of chapter 1 is keep on growing, never stop growing. You never get to a point where you don't need to grow. Keep on growing. And we're to add to our faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brother, kindness, kindness, and love. The promise is that if we do this, we'll never be barren or unfruitful in our knowledge of Jesus. As we just read, wow, we'll never stumble. Now, picking up uh, chapter 1 and verse 10, we're going to finish chapter 1 tonight. Peter goes on to say, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election, election sure. Now, here we have cooperating with the grace of God for our spiritual growth. You catch that? You be diligent. I'm to be diligent to make my calling and my election sure, steadfast. So I'm, I'm cooperating here with the grace of God extended to me. The word for diligent carries the idea of zeal and haste. Uh, I take this very seriously. Now, you say, well, what's the most important thing to you in your life, Jeff? Well, number one would be him, but I need to be daily growing. Daily, my spiritual growth. Because you can plateau anytime. I can plateau anytime. And you know what I've noticed? People that plateau start going back before long. So we're to exert ourselves, make an effort, make every effort to make our calling and election sure. 
Now, what does he mean by calling an election? Okay? The calling Peter spoke of is how God invites all people to receive his gift of salvation. It's a calling. He called you, and you responded. How many of you remember the call when you heard the gospel? That divine you-who. You-who. You. I'm calling you, and I'm giving you an offer of salvation if you, if you want to reach out and take it. So he called you, and how many of you are glad you responded? Oh, goodness. Now, the word election has to do with God's foreknowledge of your salvation. I say it a lot. I'll say it again tonight. God never, ever says, well, I'll be. Right? Because nothing is a surprise to God because he saw it coming before it ever arrived. He inhabits the future. He inhabits the past. He inhabits the present. Okay? So, He's omniscient. That means all-knowing. Omnipotent, all-powerful, omnipresent, everywhere at once. So he's omniscient. God knew ahead of time that you would respond to his call. He knew. And when we are saved, two things are at work now. God's calling and our responding. He knew when you were going to do it, the day, the hour, the minute. He knew. How many of you can look back and say, I remember the day, the hour? The minute, the setting in which I got saved. Amen. So the Holy Spirit sees to it, I believe this, that everybody has an opportunity and the ability to respond when God calls. I do not believe some are chosen to be saved and some chosen to be lost. I can't go there with Calvinists, okay? Because that's Calvinism. God chose you. If he chose you, you're coming. Whether or not you like it, you're coming in. But if he didn't choose you, You're lost, and there's nothing you can do about it. No way that's the God of the Bible. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So, John writes, this true light, speaking of Jesus, coming into the world gives light to how many? Every man. John says everybody at some point in time is approached by and given a chance to respond to the light, Jesus Christ. Now, God's sovereignty never rides roughshod over somebody. He's never going to put you in a wrestling headlock and say, get saved. He offers. He calls. He beckons. He won't force himself on anybody. So by doing what he said in verses 5 to 9, we will indeed make our calling and election sure. When you, when you make it one of your life tasks, and I would say the most important one, to add those seven virtues to your faith. We've got to catch the promise here from the Apostle Peter. If you build onto your faith those seven virtues, you won't stumble. You're going to grow. You're going to be fruitful. But we've got to cooperate with the grace of God. Paul said at one point, the grace of God was not extended to me in vain. No, God did not give me grace in vain. I responded, and now I labor more abundantly than all my brethren. He was just telling the truth. Now, verse 10, for if you do these things, you'll never stumble. What an incredible promise. Steady spiritual growth is crucial to our victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. We've got to get this. We're to grow constantly, continuously grow. We're to grow. 
And the only way that's going to happen is if we respond to the grace of God being extended to us every day. What did the Bible say? It says, He is faithful who calls you who also will do it. And he that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. But there is a cooperative effort here. I I respond to the grace of God. I obey the grace of God. I I obey the word and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And I, I make it one of my life goals to add those virtues to my faith. To grow spiritually every day. To know him better today than I knew him the same time last year. I know him better. I'm more mature. I've grown a little bit more. A little more love, a little more patience, a little more long-suffering, a little more mercy. I'm not so hard now. I'm more merciful to the struggling. I'm getting more and more to be like Jesus. I want to be a chip off the old block. Right? So, steady spiritual growth. That's one of, that's one of Peter's constant mantras. Uh, he's encouraging us against what, what some have called world bordering, bordering the world, world bordering, okay? We should have one foot in, one foot out. Like I said Sunday, the hokey pokey Christianity. Put your one foot in, put your one foot out, one leg in, one leg out, but you're never all in. No, we need to do the end of the song. Put your whole self in, put your whole self in. But world bordering is when you're walking around the edges of the world like somebody would walk around the edges of a dangerous flame. How far can I go without sinning? How close can I get to the flame without going all the way in? How much can I flirt with the world without God getting mad at me? Right? No, no world bordering. The world is a pit, a trap, and it does not... As a matter of fact, the Bible goes so far as to say, if you love the world, you can't love God. The world being this evil system. And y'all look at the world out there now. How could I love that? The corruption, the, the moral chaos, the dishonesty, the thievery, the murder, the, the hatred. How could I love that and love God? I can't. You can't be a friend of the world. He that makes himself a friend of the world, James said, makes himself the enemy of God. Whoa. All right. Peter then gives another promise. He says, For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a great promise. Listen to the easy-to-read version. And you will be given a very great welcome in the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, a kingdom that never ends. Amen. Now, I know what you're thinking. What what does that mean, Pastor Jeff? A, A great entrance. Doesn't the blood get me in? What he's talking about, I really believe this, is it seems to imply there are degrees of glory and reward in heaven. in proportion to the faithfulness we exercise on earth. All right? Are we using our gifts? Are we, are we glorifying him? Are we growing? Are we really walking out our faith? Are we being genuine and authentic? Or are we just kind of world-bordering our whole life, right? Let me, let me just show you some examples. The parable of the talents. Remember, he gave talents to three men. 
One of them five, one of them two, one of them one. Now, the five and the two invested their talents. Now, I believe the talents are the giftings of God. It has nothing to do with money. It's the giftings that God gives you. Some people get multi-gifted. They can sing, dance, preach, teach, cartwheel. They can do everything, right? Uh, But some people have two and some one. Now, notice every talent was a trust. It was an investment. Heaven invested in you and me. Heaven has invested a gift. As each one of you, Peter said in 1 Peter, as each one of you has received a gift, at least a gift, that's your talent. It's not talking about a talent to sing, something like It's talking about a spiritual gifting to edify others with. Okay? We've all been given one. Now, we are to take that and invest it. Use it. Actually, use it or lose it. Use it. Invest it. Work it. Uh, Let God make you a channel of blessing with that gift. Okay? So, look what he says. In the parable of the talents, two of the three recipients of the master's talents heard these words when the master returned. Well done. Enter the joy of your Lord. But the one that buried the gift, he didn't hear anything like that. He was called a wicked and a lazy and a slothful servant. Okay? There's a whole message on why did he bury that gift? Because of the, the way he perceived the master. But that's another message, another, another night. Maybe we'll do a series on the parables sometime. But the, the Lord also says to two of them, the two that invested, you gave me five, I invested it, got five more, I got ten. You gave me two, I invested them, I got two more, I got four. So you gave me two, I'm giving you back four. What did Jesus say? He said, well done. But he also said, you've been faithful over a few things, little things. I'm going to make you ruler over much. Now, when are they told that? They're told that at the return of Christ. So here, this is the end of things. Jesus returns. This is it. He's about to wrap it all up. He returns, and all of those that had received the gifts had to show him what they had invested and what they'd earned. But the one didn't get anything. He did not hear. But what did Jesus say to the two? He said, you were faithful over a little. You invested the gift. You're going to be a ruler over much. When? In the coming new world. In the coming new world. I got this call on the radio the other night. They said, well, (laughs) this guy says to me on the radio, national radio, he says, yeah, I got to tell you, this may not sound real spiritual, but he said, (laughs) I got to kick out. I think I laughed on the air. I couldn't help it. He said, I'm just worried about getting real bored up there. What are we going to do after all that time? He said, I mean, after one week, I get bored with anything. What am I going to do up in heaven forever and forever? I said, well, one thing I do know, if you're faithful down here, he's going to make you ruler over much in the world to come. So don't worry, you're not going to be floating on a cloud, playing a harp with wings, getting bored after a while. No, only flesh gets bored. Your spirit man does not get bored, right? So clearly there there are varying degrees of reward for faithfulness here. 
There's no other way around it. If the works you've done are solid, God-glorifying works, then they survive the test of fire, and they are considered gold, silver, and precious stones, 1 Corinthians 3. But if they, they do not glorify God, if you didn't use your gift, invest your gift, if you live just for yourself, your works are wood, hay, and stubble, and they're burned up. But you get in, but barely, not, no reward. How many of you feel like God's worth giving everything for and getting everything you can? What did Jesus say? Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what he said. Don't worry about the treasures down here. They're going to burn up. Another bank failed today. I, I read it. Another bank failed today. And so everybody's all uptight about their money. And let me tell you, there's money you don't have to worry about. There's riches you don't have to worry about. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't uh, break through. Uh, no, where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves can't break in and steal and crazy bankers can't ruin your money and crazy politicians can't get you an impossible debt. You know that every American now, every taxpaying American now owes $250,000 each to take care of the national debt. That's free. That's not in my notes. And, and maybe that doesn't bless you. It doesn't bless me that I'm in a debt, 250K, to, to, to retire the national debt, and I didn't do any of it. Okay, that's free. Now, so what we do regarding the opportunities God has given us here, folks, serving Jesus here matters there. It matters there. Now, Peter next reveals what is most pressing to his heart. He knows he's soon going to be martyred. Verse 12, for this reason, I'm not going to be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Peter believed in repetition. He's even known as the apostle of remembrance. He was constantly saying, I want to remind you, I want to remind you. Have I told you? Oh, have I? Well, let me tell you again. Learn, repetition is the key to learning. Peter really believed that. To repeat something was to nail it firmly into their souls. So he says over and over again, look at verse 13. I think it is right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by doing what? Reminding you. What's he reminding us of? Those seven virtues, add them to your faith. It's human nature to remember the things we should forget and forget the things we should remember. So as long as he had breath, Peter says, I'm resolved. Uh, I'm going to remind you of the apostolic teaching God has given to the early church. I'm going to remind you. The same truth we now hold in our hands in the Bible. He says, I'm going to remind you over and over again. Don't stop growing. Add those virtues to your faith. Keep seeking the Lord. He was determined to, to root and ground them in the truth of the word of God, which is my heart. That's my heart. That's what I'm about. I'm a one-talent guy. I got one talent, and I work it six different ways. Every way I can get out there and teach and preach, I get out there on the radio, social media, pray.com, everywhere. I write. Every way that I can communicate with that one gift, I'm going to do it. I'm working it. Because I want to hear the words, well done, Jeff. You were faithful over a little. One gift, I gave it to you. 
Now, step in and be ruler over much. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm storing up. What about you? Peter speaks of his soon coming martyrdom. Look at verse 14. Knowing that surely I must put off my tent. Just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Peter was destined, we know this, to die a martyr's death by crucifixion. Jesus had told him as much as John 21, 18 and 19. When you were young, Peter, you went where you wanted to go. But when you're old, they're going to take you where you don't want to go. They're going to do with you what you don't want done. And we know that when it came time for him to be crucified, he said, no, no, upside down. That's what tradition tells us. Because I'm not worthy to die like my Lord did. So they crucified him upside down. He knew it was coming. But look at his motivation when he knew he didn't have long. He speaks of his determination to constantly remind them of these things. And he uses that phrase, these things, the seven virtues to add to your faith, five times in chapter 1 alone. These things, these things, these things, these things, these things. Don't forget, let me remind you, add to your faith, these things. Then in verse 15, moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. He's telling them, I'm going to write them down. So even when I'm gone, I get to remind you and keep reminding you. In other words, you're never going to get my voice out of your head. I'm going to write them down. And thank God he did because we have First and Second Peter. Amen. It's interesting, the word he uses for the word decease is exodus. And it's, it means a way out or a departure. And it's, of course, where we get exodus. And as God delivered Israel out of Egypt, took them to the promised land, Peter said, I'm about to make my exit. I'm about to do my own exodus. I'm leaving this world, and I'm going to the one to come. It's my exodus. It's my, it's my out. So the, the former fisherman, that's amazing. Now he's a mighty apostle. No education, formal. But he, he, he took his execution in stride. And he resolved to make use of all the time he had left, what little he had left, by ministering to the saints of God. So, so far, Peter has talked about our walk with God. Next, he talks about the word of God. He begins with the words integrity the words integrity verse 16 for we did not follow cunningly devised fables we didn't make this stuff up everything about jesus we didn't make this up i run across people all the time on social media (laughs) you know so so you you worship and you follow the um the, the the fairy tale in the sky And they say over and over again to me on social media, it's a fairy tale, it's a myth. You're following a great big make-believe story. And I say, no, no, no. I did not follow a cunningly devised fable. This is not made up. The word for fable is muthos, from which we get myth. The word of God is not a muthos, it's not a myth. All right? It's not Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. It's not Brothers Grimm. It's not 
Dr. Seuss. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a children's fable. It was not cunningly crafted by people trying to start some kind of a new religion. That's not what it is. Peter had a first-hand knowledge of both the facts of Jesus' life and the history of the church. He had first-hand knowledge. He knew that the uh, virgin birth, the sinless life, the countless miracles, the peerless teaching, the atoning death, the burial, resurrection, and ascension, and the promised return of Christ were all verifiable facts. He knew it. He said, I've seen it firsthand. I was, I was right there when he did it. Right there when he walked on water. Right there when he turned water into wine. I was right there when he ascended back up into glory. I was there when he was transformed on the mountain. I was there when he handed me the multiplied bread and fish. I handed it out and it kept on coming back. I was there. Verse 16, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We weren't lying to you when we told you about first his power. We weren't lying to you about it. The miracles he had performed. The power he exercised over the forces of hell. We saw it. Dunamis, that's the word. Uh, Unhindered, untrammeled, unequaled power. I watched open or blind eyes open, deaf ears come unstopped, crippled people get up and walk. I watched Lazarus come out of a tomb when he'd been in there four days dead. I watched it. It is this power of his that can make crooked men straight and drunken men sober and wicked men pure. This this power of his made demons flee and diseases disappear. And it's this same power that will be exerted to call millions of people out of their grave at his return. Same power. I was at um, National Cemetery this week for a funeral, doing a, performing a funeral, overseeing a funeral. And I don't know if you've ever been to the National Cemetery and in Dallas, right next to Dallas Baptist University, but it's just, you, you drive up here, and all you see is acres and acres of white crosses. Same cross at every grave, and I'm looking at this sea of white crosses, as far as you could see. And I'm thinking of all the young men, 17, 18, 19, went off to war, didn't come back, never got to marry, never got to have kids, gave it all so that you and I could come to church tonight. Amen? Seriously. And I got to thinking, what is it going to be like when the trumpet blows? If you just happen to be here in this cemetery with those thousands of white crosses How many of them died in faith, died with faith in Christ? And when that trumpet blows, they are coming out. Oh, it was something. It was something. It brings a tear to your eye just just to go and see it. So majestic. Peter says, we also spoke to you about his return, his coming again. That wasn't a made-up story. It's true. He's coming back. We didn't make that up. 
And Peter continues, we also told you about his majesty, which he, James, John, had personally witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus had suddenly shined as brightly as the sun while speaking with Moses on one side and Elijah on the other. So he says, we have this unassailable integrity of the word, the Bible you hold in your hand. Unassailable. Then he says, not just the integrity, but the instruction of the word. He he focuses more closely on what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration and the word that came from God. He says in verse 17, He, Jesus, received from God, the Father, honor and glory when, say it with me, such a voice. Well, thank you, two or three of you. Let's try it again. Such a voice. Man, it was such a voice. That's what I hear him saying. This one does any voice. Such a voice came to him from the, ex- the excellent glory. And what did it say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And here's Peter. We heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. On the mountain where he was transfigured. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. Transfigured is a changed form. He changed form. On the mountain, they had seen him literally shining with the light of another world. He changed form. Peter heard the voice from heaven. The words had burned into his soul. He calls it such a voice. It boomed, it cut, it shook, it thrilled his soul. Peter says it came from excellent glory. And of course, Peter forgot himself. Peter would say when he didn't know what to say, he would say. He said, Lord, do we build you a a tabernacle and Moses and Elijah while we're at it? Build them a place up here? No. Be quiet, Peter. Just listen to the voice. This is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased, well pleased. No accolade could be higher than that. Amen? That was the father's instruction. So what was the father's instruction? It's all about Jesus. Okay? Hear him. Follow him. Bow to him. Obey him. Worship him. Let him be your teacher, your guide, your healer, your deliverer, your redeemer, your savior, your master, your all. It's all about Jesus. That was the Father's instruction. This voice from heaven, we heard it. His words are emphatic. We heard it. Three normal men saw and heard these things. They were eye and ear witnesses. Not made up, not a fable. So Peter has talked about the integrity of the word, the instruction of the word, and then he goes into the incomparability of the word. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. This, this, this part is so important, dear church. Even though the Mount of Transfiguration was an incredible experience, all right? You talk about an experience. You talk about emotion. You talk about a life-changing event. But listen to what Peter says. Though the sights and the voice were awesome, we still have a more sure word of prophecy. Something even more stable and steady and solid to put our feet on. What? The word of God. 
The Word of God. Now, I want you to say something with me. The Word of God trumps any experience. The Word of God is the judge of any experience. And the Word of God validates any true experience from God. There's a lot of people these days put a w- lot more credence in visions and experiences and they do the Bible and you know what? It's dangerous. It's dangerous. Voices and visions can originate from satanic and demonic forces. Yes, God can give a dream or a vision, but so can the enemy. That's why you need to hold it up to the Word of God and say, do I see it here? Is it in here? Can the Word of God validate Because I see a lot of things happening out there in the church world that No way they're the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? I look at the Word. I see other things that are definitely the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? I see it in the Word. Okay? All things have got to be held up to the scrutiny of God's Word. As Paul warned in Galatians, even if we are an angel from heaven, even if you see an angelos, an angel, a messenger from heaven, or claiming to be from heaven, but it preaches a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. You have not seen a vision from God. It's real, it's spiritual, but it's not from God. And he also warned about Satan's ability to disguise himself, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He puts on a costume. He disguises himself to look good, convincing, appealing, helpful. So Peter assures us the Bible is the more sure word. So he says, listen to it, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Now notice what Peter calls this world, a dark place. Is this world a dark place? Is it a dark place? Oh, you better know that it is. He calls it a dark place. So there's only one source of light. You open up that Bible. You know I've got that little Bible. I open it up and the light shines. I feel it every single solitary day. Every day I open it up and the light shines. I need it. It's my flashlight when I go out into the dark world that I go into every day. The world, the flesh, and the devil, I've got to greet them with light. They won't overwhelm me if I'm walking in light. I've never seen dark hang around when light entered. Light always overpowers the dark. You know, I found interesting that he uses a word for dark here in the original language that is nowhere else in the entire Bible. The the one Greek word he uses right here is nowhere else in the entire Bible. And it means dry, parched, and squalid. That's how he saw this present world. It signifies something murky and dirty. So since we live in a dry, dark, murky, and dirty world, we must daily read God's word, which gives us a sure and a steady light to lighten our path. Amen? Amen? We lived in East Texas for a number of years, and I, had, I was on four acres that were 
cheap as dirt, no pun intended. They were just cheap. And I built a little 1,300-square-foot house on this acreage, and it was beautiful. Pine trees everywhere. The wind would blow. You'd hear these things rustling and blowing in the wind, and it was beautiful. And I had a little creek that went through my land, and you look out there early in the morning, and there'd be deer down there drinking out of the brook. But it also brought snakes. And the worst kind, moccasins. Water moccasins were, I killed one every other day, doing God a service. Because I had a little child in my church get bit by a poisonous snake, and it gave me a whole new respect for snakes, poisonous ones. I don't believe you ought to kill the non-poisonous ones. They don't hurt a thing. They, they really help things. But poisonous, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill it because it may seriously or even kill a human being. So um, at nights, I would sometimes go down to that creek, but I took a light with me, a very brilliant flashlight, and I did not shine it way down where I was headed. I put it right down in front of me to cover my next step, right? Now, here's what I couldn't do. I couldn't go on last week's light. Last week's light was gone. No, I had to have that light with me every step because where I lived, let me tell you, they were everywhere. And I could turn that light up and try to see way down the road and I don't see what's right at my feet. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Every day we need the flashlight of God's word shining right in front of us. And don't try to see way down the road. God's got way down the road. You just keep that light shining on your path. Because sure, as you're sitting there, you let up on it and don't get it. And get away from the light of God's word for a week, two weeks, a month. And you're going to step. The devil's going to put something in your path. How's that for graphic? Amen. So he talks about the integrity of God's word, the instruction of it, the incomparability of it, and we're going to close with its inspiration, and we're done tonight. Verse 20, knowing this first. How many of you know this? No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, thought up by the prophet himself. They didn't think it up on their own. The Bible did not originate with the writers themselves. They didn't come up with it on their own. They didn't think of these things. How can you prophesy the future like they did? Prophecy never came by the will of man. The holy men of God spoke. I want you to say the next part with me. As they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Notice this is not automatic trance-like writing. You're there and you start writing, not even looking down because something's got you and you're in a trance. Uh Uh-uh. No, no, it wasn't like that. The word moved means borne along gently like a breeze blows a sailboat. They sat down, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude, Mark, Matthew. They sat down, pen in hand, to write a letter or record a historical event or phrase a song. And suddenly the Holy Spirit took hold of them, caught them up, bore them along, 
And what we have is the very breathed out word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it. And is profitable. Amen? All right. How many of you are happy tonight? Let's stand up together, can we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord and thank him. The Lord is good. Thank you, Lord, for the true word of God. Thank you for helping us, Lord, to add to our faith the seven virtues. To work at it, to respond to the grace of God. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the inspired word of God. Thank you, Lord, that we're not following a made-up story. Oh, no, Lord. No, no. This was historical truth. Jesus came, lived among men, taught, healed, delivered, died on a cross for our sins, spilled his blood to wash our sins away. Three days later, rose from the dead, and then 40 days later, lifted his hands and was taken back into glory where he awaits the arrival of his church. And we thank you for it tonight, Lord. Amen. Let's sing a chorus. Ronnie, lead us. Let's just do it right now. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. All my life you have been so, so good. Every breath that I have made, I will sing. Of the goodness of God. Can we lift our hands and just sing it one more time? All my life, all my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. Every breath that I Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. Amen, amen.